Hey guys, it's William. Before we get started with uh, today's episode, I've been going through editing this, uh, what you're about to hear, and I'm not going to lie to you, the audio is rough. This was by far one of the most frustrating episodes I've ever had to record, and it has nothing to do with Charlie or Jason, the content. It's just straight up the technical. This reminded me of when we were like in early season two, and definitely all of season one, when you listen to just how way off all of the audio is. I'll tell you just the nutshell version. My Mac, uh, I had to update it this week. And of course, you know, when you update, go through a software update, there's some programs that don't necessarily align really well. Well, I didn't realize that until we were about to record. And one of the programs I use to be able to easily record Skype calls to GarageBand well, that thing just didn't want to work today, and it set us back at least an hour. I was trying to find some contingencies for it, and I was just running out of time. So what ended up happening was I had to record it the old-fashioned way, which really isn't the way I like to record anymore because it doesn't sound awesome. So you're going to hear me just on the local mic just recording right into the computer, but Charlie and Jason are going to sound like, sound like you're talking to me through like a speakerphone in an office somewhere, so... I apologize for the rough-sounding audio. I've done about as best best I can to kind of clean it up, but um, hopefully it is not too too much of a burden for you to listen to. So I just wanted to say that up front before we get into any kind of tweets back, like, what the heck are you guys doing? You guys are in season four. Why do you have such crappy audio all of a sudden? Well, that's why. Uh, again, the guys did as best they could with it. They really trucked through it. We had some good stuff in this episode, as you'll hear. I do want to give another shout out to Martin. We're missing him on this episode. I'm not sure when he's going to be joining the podcast in the future. I know he's not feeling well, but our hearts out go out our go out to him. And once again, because I say it like so stupidly in this episode, I say, well, just so we can keep him in the loop. That doesn't make any sense. Of course he's in the loop. I, I whatever. Please reach out to him. He's at Bunny Suicide on Twitter. You know it. You've you it, pretty much if if you look on our uh, our Twitter feed, you'll find where where he's he's on there. So. Please reach out to him. Let him know that, you know, you miss him. We miss him on the show. I'm not sure when he's going to be back in the future. We're hoping, you know, each time that we uh, that we record that we'll be able to have him. But we definitely hope we can have him for that next episode here in the street. Taker's one of his favorite guys. And it doesn't feel right doing this without him. So give him a shout-out, please. Tell him you love him. Tell him you miss him. And, well, it's the truth from all of us, too. We all love him, and we all miss him, too. So, um Enjoy today's show. Again, I apologize about the audio. I'm going to have this thing ready to go and fix for the next time we get into the the 20s, the WrestleMania 20s episode. So enjoy, have a good time, and hey, hey, Swagger, get me a can of Kodiak. season four as we journey through the undertaker going through his wrestlemania matches so this time around we're looking at wrestlemania's 17 or x7 and wrestlemania 18 otherwise known as x8 19 and then 20 
interesting variants in there. We're going to get into that throughout the show. It'll be fun. I'm William Rankin, joined, of course, by Jason Kiesler. Hello, everybody. Charlie Stabile. How you doing? And we're Sans Martin. Today, he is still feeling a bit under the weather, but we send him good thoughts our way. Please send him yours as well via Twitter, just so uh, we can keep him in a loop on things. So, um, we're coming off of... Uh, Last, last show was fun in terms of the way we were building. We ended with um, clearly uh, one of the lesser, not, not as well-liked uh, well Undertaker <laughs> WrestleMania matches with what happened at WrestleMania 15. Now, fortunately, Undertaker gets to skip a year. He gets to kind of take a break and recharge the batteries because he comes back as his new incarnation, which is probably one of our favorites, is the American Badass slash what he'll become a little bit later, Booger Red. So... Um, <laughs> Just uh, in terms of uh, initial thoughts here, with where um, <laughs> with where with where we're at, how are you guys thinking? Like in terms of the progress that we've made thus far from seven through fifteen, in terms of the Undertaker. Jason. <clears throat> oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to step on anybody. Uh, I think it's. At so far, it's, it's an amazing amount of progress from. A couple standpoints is he's his matches are getting significantly longer. Uh, he's getting his you know his work has greatly improved from being the zombie taker style, then the more high energy taker that we got, all the way to the kind of very vicious taker that was in fifteen. And now we're we're getting ready to see something completely different, uh, which is kind of cool because as long as WrestleMania streak goes on, he doesn't stay the same for very long periods of time. Well, until he gets to 21, right? Or 20. until, well, And then 20 until, you know, he folds up the jacket and leaves it in the orange bowl. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of the same guy, but I get what you mean. Sure, I count shaped head takers a different person completely. Yeah, oh, uh, he was a lot different. I mean, but that was also from a physical standpoint too. <clears throat> Charlie, where do you? How, how do you view view it so far? We've gone through seven. We started with the squash match with Snuka, and now we we left off last time with the boss man hanging in the Hell in a Cell. Uh, I mean, the, the cool thing about the Undertaker, especially up to this point, is that he has been able to assimilate himself into every era that uh, he's come into contact with, like with the uh, with like the golden years from WrestleMania 7, 8, and the new generation into the Attitude Era. And it's, it's a great little journey for his character. And at the time, this felt completely natural. Like, it, like we didn't think too much about it. And it, se- it didn't seem too far out of his wheelhouse that this is a direction he would go, even though it's something completely different for him. So I think it's more of a testament to him than anything else. Yeah, yeah his work, his work quality. I, it's it's with these next four that we're going to do today. It's amazing to see how his work quality has really evolved, and his match qualities too. When you look at just the how long they let him go at Mania, he, these next these first two matches, we're talking almost up to that twenty minute mark. Actually, I think WrestleMania thirteen, I think it was thirteen, was his longest. He went. That's probably the longest of the shows that we've done thus far of the of the WrestleMania. So, but it's interesting to see as he gets more time what he's able to do in a match, and that's where it's fitting to start then with WrestleMania 
X7. Now, X7 is remembered fondly for you know more than a few reasons. And, and what's funny is Taker's match with Triple H is not usually one of the first things that's talked about with WrestleMania X7, but it is technically the sub-main event. It is right before Austin and Rock have their their mega match. And it's funny because I didn't realize this until recently, like like what the original plan was, like how Shawn Michaels was really supposed to be a part of this match. In fact, he was... And so I read a I read a piece just today, and it's one of those ridiculous like kind of you know top ten things. And I and I I looked at it, and I was like, okay. I had always I'd heard that Sean was supposed to be mixed up in this match. I'd never heard before that Sean was supposed to be Triple H's opponent at seventeen. But and oh wow, I guess the short the short version is that I read was that. Triple H didn't feel like Triple H basically ratted him out is the way it was worded, which I thought was strong. But it basically was saying that you know he had um, he saw with the condition that Sean was in, not so much physically, but more so you know mentally, emotionally. He still hadn't well, he hadn't found God yet, so he was still kind of a dick, like he likes to say he was in the nineties. And, <laughs> and and so he he basically just called the match off. He he killed it off himself and. I thought it was interesting too in that piece. It said there's a lot of resentment between Sean and Triple H that would it wouldn't last too long because in a year they would have the match they were supposed to have, which was great. But the thing that the thing I think we've all heard is that it was so competitive during this time period that I don't think it, the Undertaker and Triple H were alone in feeling a bit like kind of knocked out of the main event circle because of Rock and Austin. But at the same time, could you argue against a better main event than the Rock versus Steve Austin? I don't think so. Not at the time. So no. this was during that period where Triple H didn't talk to Sean for like a year? I guess so. Like, I mean, this must be that. It must be because it fits in perfectly if we're talking like, you know, April 1st of 01 all the way till you know, to make sense if it would go about a year to 02. So, but yeah, I thought um, I thought that was interesting to read because I, I had heard like, and this becomes a thing with Undertaker WrestleMania matches. Like, as revered as he is, he's always kind of, for the most part, stuck, you know, behind the main event. Like he's never, he's rarely inserted into a main event role, and he's inserted into these matches that are supposed to be the sub main event or maybe even upper mid card matches, and they end up stealing the show sometimes, or they end up being much better than they were supposed to be. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. We talked about X Seven last year, and we talked about how this feud kind of just starts. As so many wrestling feuds like to, a guy comes out to the ring and is like, you know something? I've beat everybody here. I don't have anybody else to beat. And, but don't guess, do that. <laughs> somebody's going to come out. It's <laughs> not good, man. Yeah, it's, it's usually somebody big. I mean, in Triple H's case, it kind of made sense because it came on the heels of beating Austin in the cage and the three stages from hell. Like, It kind of made sense in that respect. There's like, dude, he, he's beaten The Rock over the last year. He's beaten Steve Austin. So I was like, well, who else is left? And I was like, well, you, you are kind of omitting somebody there, bud. And uh, and of course that leads to, I mean, it's a it's a fun, this is a fun video package because you get to see like the, he he uh, he pins him down with that chair, which looks awesome. You know, he, he messes with his bike. They do the restraining order with Stephanie and then Kane bench presses her. That's still funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh well, that's just fine. Why don't you just send Steph right on down? <laughs> Undertaker's so smart. Like, well, you got a restraining order against me. That's just fine. But you ain't got one on Glenn. Go get her, Glenn. Oh God. I love watching Kane 
just, his weird little shuffle back and forth with his shoulders just yeah, doesn't no. look like something he does on a daily basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, this 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 was actually this came together very nicely. By the end of this video package, like this is a hot feud. That's and the especially that gash that Taker has on his head, like it looks like. I mean, he got really really not. Looks like a tire mark. Yeah. It look, yeah, it does. It looks like Triple H took his bike and ran over him. <laughs> right over his face. So, Jason, I'll have you kind of lead it off. Again, like a lot of this may be a bit of us going through the like going through the motions again. We've done X7 before. So, and without trying to rehash too much, like what did you think of how this match took off? Because this has like one of my favorite ref bumps where Taker's just like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> I do love it. I do love that this ref is essentially dead for 15 minutes, seems like. Um, but with this match going in, since we're talking about WrestleMania, this one was the week of, it was on April 1st, April Fool's Day, 2001. The number one movie in America was Spy Kid. The number one song in the U.S. was Crazy Town, Butterfly. Which tells you if you didn't have anything better to do than to watch this WrestleMania. That's probably why it was so <laughs> No wonder the fire rate was so big. <laughs> no kidding. The number one song in the UK was Hearsay. And that's two words. One word. Their song was Pure and Simple. It is a bird. Um, you trying to get a feud? Are you trying to get a feud going? No, man. <laughs> I'm going into business for exactly what was going on. Because... Uh, Again, I listen to every one of these songs. Uh, but this WrestleMania, it's still, I think we, we said it last time, it's still worth saying, is this intro package is so phenomenal yeah. because it makes WrestleMania like the most important thing on earth. With all these people around the world somehow watching a broadcast pay-per-view on a nine-inch TV in the middle of an alley getting soup in Hong Kong. It's like Armageddon. I feel like it's like that. It's that's... Armageddon. That's all it is. <laughs> You can also just dub Bill, uh, Bill Pullman's speech from Independence Day just over the scenes, and it would fit just <laughs> But uh, here we go. It's, we got Taker versus Triple H, part one, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, we always make the joke about Motorhead forgetting the songs. You know, there is a Motorhead whiskey that's only available in the U.S. and Canada, or I mean, U.K. and Canada, and I want that. Um, but, you know, we go. During Triple X's entrance, he points to Lemmy 17 times. Oh, my God. It's, it's like every time he does it, I'm thinking, okay, is the song about to end? Nope. No, 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 no. I guess not. <laughs> Motorhead's <laughs> wishing it was ending because Lemmy's like, I forgot the words to fuck it. Guitar solo for three minutes. Uh, <laughs> so the cool thing is, is that, uh, you know, throughout this match, this is our first into the street season here. You of bike. He's a little flattier than we used to sing, which kind of goes with the character, though. I mean, it's weird. Like, he's a biker, you know, he's no longer the Lord of Darkness, the dead man. So, of course, his body can finally start developing fat cells and put on a little bit of weight, but for him. Um, I love the part where he goes into those body shots all over Triple H. It is just a, the noise. I was trying to figure out. I've got like 17 different scratch marks in my notes and how to spell. I just love it. Um, I, you know, got like something here that Taker now that he, he could retire and start a Fox sitcom. Glenn and his brother 
And they went up a bar at Myrtle Beach, Danny McBride playing the Duke's cousin and call it body shots, and everyone would love it. Um, it would last the whole two weeks. So the thing is with this match, and this the Triple H started doing a lot, was becoming synonymous with the sledgehammer. And the sledgehammer really is introduced very early into this match. I mean, it wants to playing there, just like the referee forever and ever. Uh, but that's we have it. Cool thing is, is we got Paul Heyman on top turns to John Madden for a second when he says, a fight is a fight. And if you pick one, you ready to fight. Jim Ross keeps making comments that the referee is still down. Paul Heyman makes the line, who gives a damn? He's only a referee. That's kind of funny. Uh, because this is still the time when the WWE would tell you the ref's name instead of just treating them like an extra in some kind of movie. We're outside the ring. How long is it? Is it like 10 minutes? Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty long. It's very, very long time. Um, when they finally get back to the ring, the hard camp shot, you see the camera, the camera crew pulling the cable back to the ring where they just way out there where they were coming around on the production equipment. And this is Rodney Taker is picking up the sledgehammer. So all WrestleMania is just staring, waiting with this oh shit moment. Except the kid who's standing right next to that cameraman who is just looking at him and cheering him on. It is so, I just noticed this time, it's really fucking, this guy's like into this dude rolling to this table. And that goes on for like a full minute. Undertaker, uh, JR's got this weird sentence that the Undertaker was busted open at the end of the sledgehammer. I did not know the sledgehammer had hands. Um, you know, Taker gets the win because it's the streak, but Triple H took two stamps, tombstone, and a last ride just to get beat. So, Triple H got a I give this match, I mean, I think would you say a six? Is that what that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Now, Charlie, you made the you you had uh, you nailed the Motorhead thing from the start, and I I would say like we're one thing I had mentioned it on Twitter was I always feel like these WrestleMania performances are just not good for most bands. Like they don't sound like they did a real good sound check. They don't sound like they even rehearse sometimes. And I know they do this because I've heard them talk about, you know, people will tweet like, oh, I heard so-and-so doing their sound check before. The-. But it, it all, all these sound like just mediocre to bad. The only one to me that sounded awesome is Living Color. That's always been the one that really killed it at Mania. Which one, like, which ones do you think have been like really, really good? I mean, uh, it sounds like a, a cheaper version of the song, but I was always a fan of, of uh, honestly, the DX band uh, playing that theme at WrestleMania 14. And um, it sounds like it, it sounds like the guitars are somewhat off, but it actually gives it a, a, an interesting quality. I always liked them, and I'd actually forgotten about Living Colors' performance until uh, it was brought up on Twitter, and they were fantastic uh, doing that song for CM Punk. This is. This Motorhead performance is oddly appealing to me. I, I, I've, I've probably seen this one more than any of the other ones. Because, I mean, it's, it's, so, it's not like it's so bad, but they don't completely fudge it up for whatever reason. 
And it's fascinating to me because uh, the camera, the cameraman, when they're filming the band, the camera never leaves Lemmy. You would think he was the only person in this band. You know, there's like, there's, it's a three piece, and it's just like, Lemmy's got a good face. Let's just keep it on him. And, really? Yeah. That's, I don't really understand it. Like, like, why can't we get a wide shot of the entire band? It's just, it's not about the game. <laughs> just, yeah, it does not look like it was well planned. It just does not look no. like this thing was well planned. And clearly, poor, and let, let me just, I mean, as, as you said, the closed captioning has the lyrics down better than let me does. They're taking advantage of the death by doing that. <laughs> like, oh. like, that's what I thought was so funny. I was like, I'm willing to bet they, they corrected this. And yeah, I mean, it's literally like the lyrics that we know and and you know from all those years of listening to that song, and it's. But the thing is, to me, it sounds great. I, I really love the way that they sound on that stage. Like and, and Triple H pointing to them, yeah, that gets a, that gets to be a bit much. And you know that 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 middle part where Triple H usually were to were to spit water when he was standing on the ring, they dragged that part out. <laughs> Like for the, almost the duration of his actual walk to the ring, and it's it's not bad. It's it's really like Lemmy's little comments here and there, like Motorhead, we're gonna kick your ass. Like all right, and then <laughs> Motorhead, time to play the game. Fuck it. <laughs> all right, like, it's just it's so weird because have you ever seen that acoustic performance that Motorhead did for the song backstage with Triple H acting like he's really into it? Have you ever seen that? No, but that sounds great. Yeah, oh, I didn't. Under, I didn't understand that there could be a Motorhead acoustic song. I'm really, really enthralled. It's, with that. it's actually kind of cool because they're backstage and and yeah, they got acoustic guitars and they're sitting on the couch and there's Triple H and I I hate this, uh, but Triple H is just kind of bobbing his head like yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like I really love it if the guys who did American. Made did an acoustic version backstage. I was like, "Oh, that's it. That's the one. That's <laughs> it's just it was American Made would sound goofy actually as an acoustic song." But um, do you ever the game, you the, the saliva? Pretty cool. Saliva's what acoustic cover the song. Yeah, uh, it's just bad. That's, yeah. it's, it's it's not good. No. <laughs> so I, I think it would have when we see it later, but I think it would have been a lot cooler. If, if we had Motorhead do his song and Limp Biscuit do Takers. I'm sure I said that in the last episode because it seems so obvious. Like, how cool would it be to have both of those bands? Of course, like, not, not comparing them, that's ridiculous. But you know, Limp Biscuit, they were huge yeah. at the time. Like, they were a huge band. I even remember them promoting. The only reason I know the name of that damn album is because of the way Paul Heyman mispronounced it when he promoted it on Raw. It was like, Chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water, and he said hot dog flavored waters. And I, and I, I was like, you cannot pluralize water. And he used to drive me nuts watching that. But anyway, the match. Like to try to think think of things that I didn't say before. Um, I don't like the way Jim Ross says amigo. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what about it? Did you? I mean, did you hear it? <laughs> It's like, I get the hell out of the way, amigo. <laughs> just just kind of like raise your eyebrow a little bit like, that's interesting. <laughs> just sound a little weird. Um, after that, so 
Undertaker does old school. Now, by my math, he had only been doing this move for like, I want to say, eight years. Uh, and it already had the moniker of old school. Imagine if John Cena was doing a move in 2011 and yelled old school. Yeah. It's the same amount of years. Right. And, it, and it's really just more of a comment on how much wrestling changed from when Undertaker first got into 2001 as opposed to the way I honestly feel that wrestling just feels the same to me that it was when John Cena first came in. You know, it's like, it just like in 2011, John Cena had been around just as long in the WWE as Undertaker had been in 2001 from when he started. And it doesn't feel like that at all. You know? No. So there's that. And so talking about this ref bump, this is the most Earl Hebner I have ever seen Mike Kyoto. I mean, it's actually commented on, on the, at the commentary table from Jim Ross a few times that, you know, we still haven't had anyone come out and check on Mike Kyoto. <laughs> like, he's been laying there the entire time they've been out outside. And it's weird. When Undertaker first wakes him up, I swear he must have been absolutely still because the first thing Kyoto does when he wakes up is spit out this huge loogie. <laughs> I saw that. It's the I did see the loogie. First yeah, it's the first thing he does. And I'm like, did he just not move anything the entire time to sell this as hard as he could? Because I mean, it just it just looks it looks ridiculous. Like when they come back and there's Kyoto and just yep. Just hanging out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why Taker like des- destroys him, and I it's wonder. Funny. I wonder it's if so I the thing I was wondering is like if he was covering because was Kyoto initially takes a bump because I think what is it he launches Triple H into him. So, somebody gets thrown into One of my him, least right? favorite ref bumps ever. Oh, I'm gonna get distracted in the in, at the turnbuckle for no reason. Oh, there's a catapult. And he gets, yeah. You could see this coming a mile away. But I wonder, I wonder if Kyoto was supposed to like stay down, and then he started getting up, and Taker's like, "Uh oh man, this ain't no DQ. This ain't no." Nope. (laughs) And he just Taker just kind of. We can't get counted out. We've got to be outside for ten minutes. It's it's like I really I really dig this match from the time that it starts up until the time when they get back to the ring. The whole middle part's just kind of messy. But the first part, I actually had to rewatch this match because I was so distracted. I don't know how I missed this before. But there is a real true blue asshole <laughs> in the front row. And he, he does one of those things that I hate that fans do, which is every, they're looking at some monitor in, in the stadium. And every time the camera is obviously facing hard cam, they stand up and just... <laughs> and, and he stands up every fucking time that it goes to the hard kick. And he's got a WCW World Championship belt on his shoulder. That makes him easy to, to point out. But the thing that always bothers me so much about this is that when they stand up, they still stare at where the monitor is. They don't stare towards the hard camera. <laughs> Why do they do that? Like, it, it's like It's like if you were to FaceTime somebody... And I'm sorry, if I, ever, if I ever do that, I just have to look at the actual camera sometimes. Because I'm like, it just it just looks fucking weird. If you know, if you if you're looking at somebody and they're just not looking anywhere near your direction. Right. But <laughs> anyway, oh, oh I I'll, I'll point this out too. I think it's this match. I could be wrong, but if there's another little shithead in the front row 
that he, he realizes the camera's on the hard cam, and this is like a real fat fuck. Uh, he's, he's probably like, I want to say 14. And I don't know why he did this, but instead of just like doing the traditional stupid fan thing of going, yeah, he actually takes his hat off. And, and yeah, he has no hair. And then he just kind of, and then the camera stays on him too long and he just slowly puts the hat back on and sits back down. <laughs> <laughs> he ran <laughs> out of choices. He ran out of choices. <laughs> that was it. That, that was the maximum amount of choices that he had. It's just, it's just bad. Anyway, continuing on. Um, I love that select the camera spot with the last ride. And I don't know how they did it or, or what that select camera was made out of, but the sound it makes. It's very faint, but it makes a great little thud noise. Sounds really cool. Mike Kyoto's counts are really close. Like He's always been my favorite ref. He, he, he can sell a two count better than anybody. And I, I have a lot of fun, like, watching just barely not be able to get to the three. Um, of course, the last ride is a great last ride. I actually really like how he did that. And then I, I forgot this was the My Fucking Yard. Oh, I love that. I always Thank love that. God the camera was on him for that. Because it cuts away for a second. And then yeah. he goes, you know what? I bet we've got some gold over here. <laughs> and it goes back to My Fucking Yard. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so fucking cool. Um, I, I think I like this match more, honestly, the second time around. I'd give this a seven and a half. Yeah. I'm, I, I actually, I, I think I put this at an eight. I love this one too. And a lot of it's it. It's really good. It's, I mean, it, it, if you look at just at the time, for Undertaker to get a clean pin on Triple H, that's a big deal because of where Triple, Triple H would only lose via some, some, I mean, it was, it would be some kind of schmoz. Like, you know, there'd be, you'd have a run in or you'd have, you'd have something in that extent. There'd always be a, a reason why he lost. And this one, he got straight a beat. And I always think that was really cool. And I'm glad, that's why I was glad. I mean, it, it, it didn't turn out to be that great, but it was cool to see Undertaker competing for the world title again after this pay per view. Granted, again, it was, it was definitely not <laughs> with hindsight being 2020 it's like all right just keep it just have him wrestle somebody else austin and undertaker wrestling post highway to hell it's just terrible it does not work oh god ew <laughs> it's really bad <laughs> but, yeah I, I think the reason that i look so highly in the highway to hell match is because of literally everything that followed it yeah yeah i mean it's it, it and uh um this match here is really the. It's so far it seems like that real crowning achievement for Taker since coming back as the American Badass. Because in 2000 he's just kind of he does you know he hit the spectacular entrance at what was it was it Judgment, Judgment Day? Day. He does, so cool. He does that entrance and it's awesome and he actually costs the Rock the, <laughs> the match. Whoops. And <laughs> he goes on to have like another like a, another rendition of his feud with Kane, where he wants to rip the mask off for whatever reason. In this, at, I think in the summer, and then by the fall, it's just kind of like, where is he at? Okay, we'll stuff him in another Hell in a Cell match where he throws somebody off the cage. This time, Rikishi take a back bump into some bark or whatever. I don't know. And, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Bret Hart was booking. I don't know. Just push him on. Uh, push the fat guy. <laughs> um, so I mean, th this match really became like it was. It felt like a, a real crowning achievement in his return in this gimmick. And yeah, of course, the the my fucking yard bit is just so cool. Especially that blood coming down his face. 
Yeah. Just looks really cool. So it's interesting now, like where you go. So this is still kind of ground that we have gone through before. We've been here with The Undertaker in terms of what happens after WrestleMania X7. We know, of course, he and Kane are pretty much going to run in tandem here throughout the summer. We know about, you know, we talked about the feud with the, uh, with a two-man power trip with Austin and Triple H. Then Undertaker's feud with DDP, if you want to call it that. He just kind of kills him. And then Sarah kills him, and then it's over. And of course, as we said, Sarah, she is now, for whatever reason, we need to bring her in. And she becomes part of the Undertaker's storylines in 01. And everything seems to be just kind of, eh. Of course, there's the chronic match, which has lived on for not the best reasons, but <laughs> it's really not until after Survivor Series, after the Alliance is officially beaten and wiped off the face of pro wrestling, that the Undertaker makes his heel turn. His first heel turn in a long, long time. It's in fact probably his first in at that point, what, ten years it had been? Because the ministry was heel. Oh, that's right. See, I always I always forget. I forget that thing. Just because it, it never <laughs> I, I forget about it because it just never it didn't last. It unfortunately it was just this thing that just kinda came and went. Although, you know, looking back at that fifteen, like we talked about the look, it was great, but no, you're right. He's back being a heel now as as the Booger Red persona. And it was funny because the night after, the, what a way to become a heel. I'm going to stuff Jim Ross's face into McMahon's ass. That's the way I'm going to do it. That's how I'm going to get over, man. <laughs> it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, Ross. <laughs> eat that. Uh, so then there, uh, that leads him eventually into that a few that... I will, what I'll always remember about this is how much Charlie hated it was the Undertaker versus Rob Van Dam feud at the end of 01 where he beats him for the hardcore title. <laughs> but nevertheless, like it, what it really came, it got across like this, like the new, even more vicious persona of the Undertaker that gets stepped up even more at the Royal Rumble when he does the unthinkable and he lets Maven eliminate him in the Rumble, which is, I mean, that talk. Great mistake. I mean, what a moment for that kid. Like, I mean, we know where his career kind of went afterwards, but that's one of those, like, I'm not going to say it's an all-time WWF moment, but it's in the catalog of moments that should be remembered. It's a Royal Rumble moment. Yeah, definitely. And so, um, the, uh, of course, coming Taker off... literally made him famous. Yeah, he, it did, exactly. Of course, afterwards, Taker just drags him out of the ring and beats the hell out of him in the back. And just, See, that's just... what I always remember. <laughs> The, the massive throat chop to Scotty Too Hotty while he's just prancing right. to the ring. And, and, and more importantly is, is the way Taker eats popcorn. That's how I've always eaten popcorn ever since. Just <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and they do an interesting segue here for him because, like, this is typically where he gets launched into, like, his WrestleMania feud, and they kind of delay it by a month because they have him, have, they have him feud with The Rock. They have him do this feud with The Rock after... The Rock kind of makes fun of him for getting eliminated by Maven. Uh-uh. I ain't going to take that, Dwayne. Uh-uh. That ain't going to work. And so they have that match, and that, of course, leads to the Flair interference, where Ric Flair interfere, like pulls the lead pipe from him, allows The Rock to pick up the win, and it sets up an incredible... Why did Flair do that? I, I, the Flair said... Like, I, I'm trying to remember. Like I think it talked about him like beating him, like, be a man. Be a man and beat him, and not, like, I think it... I think using a weapon. I felt. I think Flair almost thought it was like be beneath the Undertaker to beat the Rock with a weapon, which is like, well, welcome to WWF, pal. 
about to say, why didn't he just interfere and in, I don't know, it's just like Brian Christopher's matches like when he cheat when he cheated. <laughs> That's who I want to fight at Mania. Just happens to interfere in Taker's match. I, it's just it seems really convoluted. Like he could have come up with any number of things to get them going. Yeah, and I mean like this is in that period too where Flair's the co owner, so him and Vince are always like kind of they're ribbing at each other, you know, at various times and but didn't they just fight it out of the Rumble? They did. When I did that one? Yeah. And and it's still, and, and of course that gets roped into this feud. I mean, this feud is really good. It doesn't, it's oh, not, yeah. it's not like it lasts, you know, as long, the buildup is not as long as it was for Kane or even some of his other opponents, really. But what we get out of it is, well, first, of course, Flair, like, refuses to fight him. He won't fight him, at, he, he won't fight him at Mania at all. And then, of course, David Flair then just gets murdered. Like while he's training, wherever, and the so good, <laughs> and then Arn Anderson gets destroyed, to which then Ric Flair does. He has to do a promo where he takes his clothes off. He takes off some of his clothes, uh-huh. <laughs> and the way he punches, he, he it's like he ran out of air. Like, <laughs> at <Rap Soul> <laughs> Like the Undertaker. Like, oh Jesus, these are this is like the flair that I didn't like. <laughs> what I thought a, a cool a cool thing kind of behind the scenes was that was how when Triple H came up to Flair after the Rumble and he had said, "Yeah, Taker wants to work you at Mania," and Flair was like, "Really? He wants to work me?" Because Flair didn't really think he was going to wrestle in WWF. Did not think he was going to do it oh, once really? he came back. He did. Of course, I mean. We take it from Triple H. You said he's the greatest liar on the planet. So you know, whatever. But yeah, I, I, I don't believe that at all. The, what, <laughs> that's something I do believe was, and I, I feel like his representative almost in like in his comeback in the beginning was that his confidence definitely didn't look like it was fully there to to if he would compete compete at a high level. And I think it was really neat that he and Taker, which was what was awesome, is when he he talked about it like on I think it was his not the. I don't even know if he still does the newer podcast. He did the older one, the Woo Nation one with Conrad, where he said he compared the build, the preparation for WrestleMania eight versus WrestleMania X eight, and he was saying that like with Randy, it, it was weeks. Of course, we've heard this about Randy Savage. Like he planned out everything to to the last to the last move. He planned out everything beforehand. But then with the Undertaker, it was like yeah, they just got together that day with Arn Anderson and Michael Hayes, and then that was that. They had the match put together and ready to go. And it's representative in the match. I mean, when we get down to it, the um, the match itself. I, I find it with um, with Taker's entrance in the match. Like, it's hard not to give him face pops in Toronto because it's still such a cool entrance, especially with that longer entrance way to the ring where he gets a long time to ride the bike. It's funny because. Later on, we joke about how long it takes him to get to the ring. In this period of time, he gets to the ring quicker than anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Early on in the match, the one piece of commentary I really wrote down that I thought was just wild was, or there's actually two, when Jerry says, you have to admit the flare tree needs a little trimming. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Poor Reed. Poor Reed. Um, the other thing is when he asks what a booger red is, and Jim Ross, like, he makes it sound like it's like the, the dirtiest thing on the planet. I'll tell you tomorrow. Alright. <laughs> Which I found a booger red. Jerry hounds him for that the rest of the match, too. It's funny. He's like, oh, I get it. Rick Flair's booger red because he's bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> 
The um, I looked it up afterwards, and I, Booger Red was Willie Nelson's nickname, and he had gotten it from like like he was he was reading some <laughs> Willie Nelson is Booger Red. I'm serious. I'm serious. My fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> he was. I think he was reading something at some point and he just was, he picked his nose like way too hard and he started bleeding. Ah! <laughs> and he was given the nickname of Booger Red. That and, fit on Undertaker. Like, that's horrible. No. That's, but I, I the reason I, <laughs> I like to think of Willie Nelson as big evil too. Well, I mean, the, and the reason I feel like connects is I can see the Undertaker being a huge Willie Nelson fan just based on oh, like yeah. kind of it. So I was like, them, that, that, that feels like where he could have got it from. Again, I, I don't. That just when I did some searching on it, that's what one of the first things that came up, and I, I felt like it connected. Okay. But um, Taker just dominates. He dominates Flair. I love that Flair tries to go after him right away, and he gets some punches in, and it looks good. Uh, but Taker just dominates him from the start, and it just gets to a point after after Flair uh, juices, and you you've got him bleeding, and it looks amazing that. It just gets to a point where Taker's now pulling him off the mat. Like he does a superplex that looks ungodly to Flair. It's, no one could take a superplex like Ric Flair. I mean, especially that back. I mean, my God. I know. But um, the interesting thing then becomes like, okay, Taker's dominating, and what's going to be the turning point? Well, what started the feud essentially—the lead pipe. Once that gets introduced, and it kind of gives Flair a bit of an advantage. It's interesting. And then, I mean, the, the figure four spot is my all-time favorite breakup of the figure four. Everybody turns Flair <laughs> oh, over. God. He just... And the, you know the thing that sucks is the camera was not wide enough to capture both of them really in the same like, shot. Like the Undertaker and Brock. Right. Right. Yeah, or him and Punk. Remember, was, uh, remember him and yeah. Punk? Yeah, him and Punk was good. The, the thing that saves it for me is, is the uh, you can see the audience's face. Yeah. And they come unglued. <laughs> I'm going to leave the talkie taker stuff to you, Charlie, when it's your turn, because there's plenty of it, especially him interacting with fans, which is excellent. It's so good. Um, he, uh, the Arn Anderson spot, I think we're all going to bat that one around as being probably one of the highlights of the match, if not the highlight of the match, because it is. I agree with you, Charlie. It's probably the best spine buster I've ever seen, um, seen him do. The one thing that doesn't hold up now that I noticed this time around when I first saw it, I was like, oh my God, Ric Flair could beat him. Like, I believed it in my heart for a second. Without knowing the outcome of the match, Ric Flair could beat The Undertaker at Mania. The only thing that gives it away is Taker positions his hands like he's going to launch him off before it's, yeah. it's even at two. And I'm like, oh crap, he's not going to even get close to beating him because he's going to launch him out of the ring. It's fine. It's not the end of the world. I think, like, it, again, like if you're. If you if you watch it without really looking too hard at it, it's still an amazing spot, and I think it does create the illusion very well that he could lose for he could actually lose the match. And it's interesting. Then out Undertaker does this great thing. Like this is something when you look at ten years later, the at the beginning of the match he's just he's pulling Flair up and he's having his way with him. But then it gets to a point where he's just trying to beat him, and now he can't. He can't pin him, and he's starting to get frustrated. And I was like, that's a really nice little thing. That not all wrestlers are very capable of doing psychologically, but the um, the end of the match, I I always thought like it was deliberate that he didn't want to do the last ride and do the tombstone instead. I didn't realize until Flair and that podcast talked about how they had like something got mistimed and he couldn't like he he couldn't legitimately get Flair. I up. think Flair was exhausted. Yeah, I bet he is too. I be, I agree with that. I think that's why he wasn't able to get him up, and then that's why. A, a tremendous audible 
you could not have found a better audible. Even if Flair told him to give him the tombstone, the way he wags his finger like, uh-uh, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. um, the, uh, the pinfall at the end, the destruction of Charles Robinson, everybody is just dead in this match except for The Undertaker. And then, of course, the ten fingers on the apron to signify the decade of destruction. I, I, it's, it's so cool, man. I, I absolutely love this match. Um, before we started this pay, this this season of the podcast, I would pretty much go out on a limb and say it's my favorite. I'm going to reserve that now that we're going through and watching these and have a more honest opinion when we're done. I still give this match damn near a nine out of ten because I think it's absolutely perfect. I don't think there are I don't think there's too much in terms of like what they could have done better. I think what you got out of Ric Flair, and I love the fact that he does very little wrestling. It's just him fighting. I think it's I think it's yeah. a really really good. It's probably I mean I know there will be exceptions when people say the match with Flair and Sean, you know, and I get why you would put that above this as Flair's best Mania match or even maybe Macho uh, above it, but I still think this is this is close to Flair's best Mania match, definitely. So, Jason, um, what are your thoughts on the WrestleMania X8 match? Um, I have a couple. Uh that we'll get into here. The week of March 17th, 2002. It's another kind of bad week for stuff. The number one movie in the U.S. was Ice Age. Mm. Yeah. yeah I it, beat out, it beat out E.T. because that was E.T.'s 20th. Oh. And it yeah. killed E.T. because that was the walkie-talkie version that nobody liked. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That, that, that thing sucks. <laughs> Government's here, E.T. Run. Um, the number one song in the U.S. was Jennifer Lopez and Ja Rule. Ain't it funny? The number one song no, in the UK. It's not. No. Uh, um, the number one song in the UK was Will Young. Anything is possible slash evergreen. Well, I don't understand why bands like release two songs at once like that and just merge them together. It, it's gross because then really you buy the album or the single and you're getting like a, a minute, fifteen seconds song. Jason, it feels like with these with <laughs> every time you do this UK stuff, I feel like you're Triple H going in the ring and saying, "I've beaten everybody. Is there nobody else?" And nobody comes out. <laughs> oh no! Last no, time I was here, we kicked you guys with that. <laughs> yeah. How about it? Don't worry, I'm gonna get my tombstone. I'm getting my tombstone around 2011, 2012. Don't worry about it. Um, I've gone ahead. Um, but this match, I'm with Will. I love this match. Um, and the cool thing is, is this time I watched it with the JBC headphones. So there it is. All kinds of glory and goal to be old and I recommend anybody watch this match in a vacuumed environment where you can just hear that because this is probably the top match of all time <laughs> and it's wonderful um, on the way right after they, they, they show that great video package um, before you know right before the entrance Jim Ross is talking about the, the diabolical stuff that the Bookerette is done, and he calls Arn Anderson a disabled freight. And just like that, that could have said so much better. Uh, and I get a little receipt from it later. When Flair comes out for his entrance and he starts taking the robe off three quarters of the way down and starts running, I kind of hoped he'd do the Sin Cara entrance and just jump, deep rock, flip right over. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> like, and people are like, oh, shit, Flair's back. Um, there's all kinds of great. I mean, like you hit like the big beats. There's some great stuff. Take the shit out of Flair. 
Next time, Jerry and Kurt put this out on Twitter. Will Sasso's just cheesing it up and kind of taking a lot of the piss. And what the hell's up. wrong with him? He's supposed to be a big wrestling fan, but he's well, he like know, but... from Ad TV going, "Hey, look, we're on TV. Look, instead of going, this is Rick Flair fighting a fucking Undertaker at WrestleMania. This is it." He's like, we're on TV. And I'm like, dude, you're on TV every week. Yeah. People don't watch you, but you're on TV. <laughs> you're there. Um, yeah. Um, when Taker superplexes Rick and then Taker stops the own pin, hear Flair yell, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, when Arn finally shows up, gives that badass spine buster. It's where Jerry gets Jim Ross to receipt for calling him says, she called him to say, like, it was so perfect. It's like, <laughs> no, you don't say that. I know what you meant, but you're not getting much from it. Um, I love this match tremendously. This is really, really fun time. To me, this is one of the matches where you can show people don't watch wrestling. You go, this is it. This is, this is it. It can be really, really good. I, I'm right. Will I give this match nine? Okay. Charlie. Charlie, how much of your opinions change on this? And please take us away, take it away with Talkie Taker, because it's. Oh man! <laughs> it's, it, first of all, I, I think up until this point, this is his best match by far. Like this is like the first truly great match that I think he has at WrestleMania, at least for me. Um, that's so much fun, Talkie Taker. I mean, first of all, Ric Flair is one of like the more talky wrestlers and not, not in terms of like spots but in just like of selling so at, at, at one point it almost seems like they're in a competition with each other like you pointed out like taker has a hard time pinning him there's one point where he covers him and flair kicks out and taker just goes fuck mad and uh we do this to make each other laugh when we're not recording but when taker misses that big boot hits that top rope and <laughs> it's so good it's so good um there's a great point where i don't know why this is the part of the american badass taker that i didn't like but because it just feels so inappropriate but uh taker's like trying to pick him up and he just for no reason just goes get your ass up here <laughs> <laughs> things in here like i love this this spot you know rick flair we always talk about his, his top rope spot but we don't really ever talk about his upside down inside out fuck my face spot where you'll whip him into the turnbuckle and he'll do that flip Shawn michaels did this too in an homage but flair completely botches it the first time and and you and i would normally just think that Taker would do it again, just on the opposite side. No, no, no. He actually picks Flair up, and they go right back to the same. Yeah, what's like, Charlie was really funny. Fun. Flair said that Taker whispered to him, "Want to try that again, kid?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Flair does it great the second time, and and then Taker just <clears throat> big boots him right off. Oh, it's so good. That was our podcast um, art. Remember that? That was our podcast art for season two. Is that absolutely. moment? <laughs> And, and the fact that that's what Flair's face looked like, I mean, that, 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 that explains everything. Um, there is a great back and forth with Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler over blood. Like, Undertaker, 
like basically Jim Ross. Jim Ross sounds like a martyr in this match. <laughs> <laughs> like, a martyr. There, there comes a point in Jim Ross's comment. I mean, he's my favorite commentator of all time. But even I'll admit, there comes a point where he sees like he seems like he's carrying the burden of the sins of the wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, my God, there's a the family, the blood. And he just can't take it. He's a 55-year-old man. He's in shape. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but he's in good shape for a guy his age. But, man, he ain't in ring shape. You know he's not in his prime. I mean, he goes off on a tangent, and, and, and Jerry Log points out, well, what about the blood on The Undertaker's face? And granted, it's a tiny little cut, but there is, like, a good amount of blood coming out of Jim Ross. Goes, oh, you mean that scrape? Oh, that's nothing. And Jerry Log goes, what do you mean scrape? If, you, if that happened to you, you'd be in intensive care right now. <laughs> well, so if it happened funny. on one side of his face, he wouldn't be able to feel it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, I was waiting for that. I was like, I don't know, Jerry, because I had that thought too. I was like, ah, well. I'm sorry, Jan. Um, but I will say, shit. <laughs> I will say the funniest part of the match, and I mean the funniest part, is when uh, Flair grabs that pipe, and then Undertaker tries to wrestle it out of his hand, and they're outside the ring, and the pipe gets kind of thrown into the ring. And they both just stop wrestling, stop talking, and just watch the pipe roll all the way to the other side of the ring and to the floor. That that pipe does like a Billy Gun and just slides completely in and out of the ring at one time. Completely in and out. And it's it's just like oh, I'm just imagining that they're they're thinking, please God, don't roll out of the ring. And because the second it does, Taker's like, all right, we're going over here now. <laughs> and they, <laughs> They just go like behind the bike, and that's when Flair grabs that, that that thing that doesn't seem like it should make the sound that it makes, but it sounds just devastating. <laughs> you know that it says "keep off" or whatever. Yeah, I don't I don't know where where that thing lives, but they always seem to find that around this time and just beat the shit out of each other with it. Um, of course, the the double A spine buster. I've actually rewound this several times because it's. I've always wanted to know if there's. Did, did Arn run the whole way down that ramp? I just don't believe that. You know, it's it's just a long way to get the timing right, and you can see Flair looking past Undertaker to see if Arn's going to be out there. Like, the audience doesn't even really notice that Arn's there. The spine buster is great. I do love that Taker kicks out, and the very first thing he does after he kicks out, he goes after Arn Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> it is the epitome of you've done it now. You've made a big mistake. That, exactly, and he just pummels him. And, and I swear it looks like he's gonna kill him when he puts him in that dragon sleep. <laughs> like the way he slowly locks it in, and and yeah, that is a surgically repaired neck. And I'm like, oh god, please be careful with Arn Anderson. Like it makes me nervous watching that. But Jerry Lawler has my favorite quote of the whole match: "That old horseman ought to be in the glue factory." <laughs> <laughs> Great line. Um, so that's pretty. Uh, other than that, like this, that's weird. Like Jim Ross. I, basically, I think Soup Bones would be a great name for a rock band. What? Like, the, he, the keeps soup bones? he keeps calling Undertaker's fist Soup Bones. You know, he's like, oh, he's hitting him with those Soup Bones. Yeah, just laying them on heavy. You know, and. Taz even says it in the next year. Only he says it once. Tim Ross says soup bones like three or four times. And I'm just... Do you remember this at all? 
Um, vague, vaguely, but I, I was. It was such a funny segue when you're like, "There should be a, you know what? There should be a band named Soup Bones." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where you were coming Not from or where you were going with it, but now I do. Now I do. <laughs> yeah, just every time Taylor just unloads on Flair, he's like, "Oh, Soup Bones, it's a heavy bra." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, take the doing the last ride. And, you know, I think we need to point this out, too. Uh, during the whole American Badass run of The Undertaker, I rarely ever remember him doing the tomb stuff. He pretty much just got rid of that move. And it was choke slam last ride. Like, those are his big moves. So to see him break out the tombstone was a big deal. But he seems to do it at every single WrestleMania <laughs> where he's the American Badass. And it doesn't make it seem as special. Because when he did that uh-uh and Tombstone Flair, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I popped hard. Because, you know, we hadn't seen the move in so long at that point. And, you know, Jerry Lawler, it's weird because he actually kind of like fore, foresees it. When Taker first picks up Flair, he's like, oh, he's going to go for the Tombstone. And he's, what? No, he's not. He goes to the last ride, and then he goes, uh-uh. Picks him up for the Tombstone, and Lawler goes, oh, good, this is what we want to see anyway. <laughs> speaks for the fans and Taker gets the three count and then he just fucking decks Robinson which is just oh, the best yes. it's, it's a great clothesline and I forgot how good of a bumper Robinson was back in, back in the day it's fantastic and then Jim Ross once again puts on his martyr cap and, and he goes oh this should be fine you're just a son of a bitch and, and you can't attack a referee and Jerry Law is just nonchalantly oh please the match is over you can do whatever you want <laughs> Great if that was true. <laughs> Just going after the ref now. Fuck it. <laughs> so I I love this match to pieces. It's really good. Um, I'd give this an eight eight point five. <clears throat> yeah. Um. I I I think I I think you're right when you say like because the the Triple H match is really good. I think this is his first really great match overall because we talked about the build with Kane at fourteen. It's the best build he's probably ever had. But mm-hmm. it, the match itself, we know it's it, it has its issues. But this is this is really good. And I mean, it it's usually when Taker gets this type of length, I think you get this type of match. That is going to change. I think when we get to the later episodes of of season four here. But when you look at Triple H, I was eighteen nineteen. This match was eighteen forty seven. Um, I don't think that it's uh, necessarily a coincidence that the next two matches then are probably under under ten minutes and they're regarded well. We'll get to it. We'll see how how well they are regarded. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a real good time. So Jason, we're leaving. We leave. Um, we're leaving the Sky Dome. We're going from O two now into O three. Where is the Undertaker headed, and how do we get to this feud at WrestleMania nineteen? Well, first we got to talk about Nathan Jones, because Undertaker has had a few on-screen and off-screen proteges, some of them imaginary, like Swagger. Uh, but, <laughs> but the cool thing <laughs> is, <laughs> right? <laughs> good luck on your you uh, and your MMA stuff. That's I'll legitimate. That the imagine all the fun. All yeah. <laughs> uh, the cool thing is, is that most of his on-screen proteges. Don't last long. This one in particular is very, very short. Uh, Taker is paired with the former strongman, bodyguard, actor, mixed martial artist, 
Tear Care Specialist, Nathan Jones. Uh, the cool thing is, is that Jones will be taking backup partner during the dispute with conviction. And this was to culminate with this match at WrestleMania 19. But it's believed that Vince and Taker both felt that Nathan Jones was shit and couldn't wrestle, and that he would ruin the match. So he was removed last minute. Uh, they do this by pulling a skit on Monday Night Heat, because everyone watched that, where Nunzio lured him into the shower by saying he had to fall it. And suddenly, beating, and here comes Big Show and A-Train, who left him laid out. So he's apparently removed from the match because he's hurt. Um, you know, whatever happens. But here we are. This leads us to WrestleMania 19. That is March 30th, 2000. The number one movie in the U.S. was Head of State. IMDb describes this as one presidential candidate lies unexpectedly in the middle of his campaign. Washington, D.C. Alderman Magnus Gilliam is unexpectedly picked for his replacement. Now, that's a good synopsis, but it's missing one piece of a movie there. That movie figured out. The number one song in the U.S. is 50 Cent's In Club. What a shit time one. for music. Mm-hmm. And the number one song in the U.K. is Root 5, featuring Clover Tatum. Club. That's love of L-U-T. Um... I was this to sound like a really bad Jamiroquai, but only five years too late when Jamiroquai was popular. So here we go. It's time for this match. We got Wrestling in that maybe coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and Safety. It's Undertaker versus Big Show and Train. And if WWT isn't going to give us a bad package with a build up this, then what are they going over? The world's greatest in business with all the earning in the world is going to play high for the first time. Now, remember a little bit of Carly, in about 2001, Olympic was a big hit. Yeah. <laughs> 2003. But because you can really hear anyone cheer and don't give people all, you know, the big venues, the sound goes up because when Hector finally moseys on out on his bike, you hear the crowd get a little too. Uh, I don't... But Taker isn't comfortable because he's a big-ass American flag wrapped to the back of the motorcycle. The whole point of this feud is a trick and Big Show would took a knee during the anthem. Big Show and A-Train make a simultaneous entrance. Or A-Train doesn't even get his music played. Uh, but he does get his <laughs> And I really love the sweater that a is wearing to the room. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good style. <clears throat> yes, nice big hairy bag. Um, Talkie Taker makes an appearance very early. Somehow manages to outsmart both of his massive opponents with the "Come on, you fat motherfuckers!" Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> he is not playing around. Um, Taker himself looked a little big. I went to go look to see if maybe this one his married with the Great Terror was falling apart, and he was kind of. He's a lot chunkier. Even I think he's he's almost as big as he was when he came back as the American badass when he was wearing full denim in prison guard. So you thought so? You know. What's that? You thought so? I thought he looked in pretty good shape. I, I thought he. I mean, he, 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 he looks in amazing shape. He works well in this match. He works his ass oh, off. Well, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> then no, we they, did see. Oh, we'll see. 
Taker, uh, they, they remind us that Taker has a family member fighting in Iraq, and that's why he's got the flag. So now I feel like an asshole for making the whole anthem joke. But then, of course, Taz says, imagine big evil going over to Iraq. Imagine all the ass kicking that'll happen there. Then I don't feel like an asshole anymore, because Taz was for it, man. You know, Taker's um, really, really into arm bars now in this match. A lot of them arm bars. But, I mean, there's, there's been the Hell's Gate. This is take kind of start morphing, not just into the best rear striker in the business, but MMA enthusiast Undertaker, which is kind of because this will be the last time we get to see Dr. Taker. And, I don't know. The MMA enthusiast doesn't kind of fit the whole Ed thing. Uh, but finally, a little bit of significant evidence from the big show with A-Train. Because while Taker's got A-Train in that arm part, bitch the lands a big-ass butt, and you hear everyone say, uh-oh, it's nasty. I do have the question, though, is this the A-Train or the A-Train? Because the commentators make up their mind. So, I'm not sure. And here's JB's headphone out of this. Is when Baker has H and the abdominal stretch, which can create actual train by safe code people. Oh, dude! You hear I thought it was a train going by my house. Nope. It is track whistle. You can hear it kind of go good, 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 tracks for a second. So, I don't know. Maybe they had to go back and redo the audio for the network version and the guy who's doing this. I don't know because I see how you can't, but there is. Like, I, I listened to back, did this 10 times to make sure I was going A-Train calls the Undertaker big dog like 30 times, over 30 seconds. And it really stood out considering who uh, a, you know, Taker's kind of opponent at this point. Uh, when a guy as big as Albert does a big boot kind of kick. He's going to call it a kick. Really just takes the, the best vinegar out of that. Uh, finally, we get the uh, arrival of Undertaker's protege, Nate Jones, because even though they're in the ring and this is the long-ass ramp, so just to know Nate Jones is and runs out to beat him halfway and gets a, could be an impressive spinning kick, except for the fact you know, it takes like perfect this is a handicap. They say it in the beginning. I just in the package let us know. The opinion announcer says a handicap. So when Nathan Jones hit the show, the ref can't see it. It's fine. But when Nathan Jones screen right in front of Brian Hepner, that should have been a cue. That should have been the streak right there. But it was um, Taker getting up out train slash Matt Moon slash Enzyme, all four of them up for that freaking tune dump. Uh, and it's impressive to see them do that, but you get this paper camera angle they pull coming up during the replay. You know, damn it, it's like that out finish splint. Uh, it's pretty funny. When Taker wins, everybody's happy. He barely acknowledges Nathan Jones, and I want to know why the referee is also praising Nathan Jones' victory. Uh, kind of interesting to point out that this is the second match on this show. Like, it's way far down the car. Um, Stroud, bit been time, and barely into this match. Uh, I was not a fan of this match at all. I gave it three and a half. Charlie, did you have a big gulp over there? <laughs> a big gulp? I heard. I swear. I didn't know. 
taking a leak. You're filling up. No, no, that was the sink. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. The sink is what he calls the pink. That it was the, <laughs> the kitchen sink. No, it was the, <laughs> sorry, Jason. Big gulps, huh? I'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I was doing some house chores, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate you paying no attention to what I was saying. I paid everything. I made notes of the things you said so I don't have to say them again. No, I paid. No, no. Don't sell the chores. Anyway. At least you were beating your chair at the death this time. <laughs> uh, so... Limp Biscuit. Um, so I finally got my wish, and uh, it's it's interesting because I think uh, I do think things changed over the course of two or three years. People people got tired of them relatively fast for obvious reasons. I do like that the WWE just owned up to it and said that Limp Biscuit was their favorite band. Like and the, it was like platinum recording artist and WWE's all around favorite band. Like no shit. And just all the songs that we've had to hear uh, from Limp Biscuit over the years. Um, so Fred Durst comes out with his dancers, and it's an, it's a it's all right. And Taker coming out, it's weird seeing Undertaker hug Fred Durst. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. When I get in the ring, it's just not that it's weird to see Undertaker hug somebody. I mean, there's tons of backstage pictures where we see that, but it's just I, I don't know. It just didn't seem to quite fit. Um, the, the match, yeah, not only is it the second match on the card, uh, it's 13 minutes into the entire pay-per-view. And this is widely regarded as one of the better WrestleManias, as one of the best WrestleManias. And and for rightfully so, it's a solid mania for the most part. It's just that the, uh, the card itself has Undertaker here, and this is what he's wasting his time on. I, I would have much preferred just a big, dumb wrestling match you know with um with, with with him fighting big show like that would have been a significantly better choice i thought but so i think it's really funny that the, so the big show's music hits and the very first thing we see is a train <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah he comes out first you know and he's like um all right uh, it's the abdominal stretches get a little bit ridiculous. I love that Taker locks in Destiny. I just, I could not help but think of Alberto Del Rio once he locked that thing in because I've never seen Undertaker do that other than this match. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty nothing match. I agree with Jason, although I didn't even bother. See, I paid attention. I listened to you. I didn't even bother to write it down. You know, when I thought, because I thought the same thing when Nathan Jones interfered, I was like, well, that's a DQ. And, but like this is like an old wrestling trope where a match will become a handicap match because one of the tag team partners got taken out, and then that same tag team partner will show up at the end, and the referee's like, "Well, it's the way it was supposed to be, so you know, I can, I can let it go." Um, Taz, I was trying to pay attention more to his commentary because there's always some good little shit nuggets that he drops, and and, and he did drop one that I was able to catch that just didn't make any sense. So after the bell rings. Nathan Jones and Taker like celebrating. Taz goes, the student becomes the teacher. 
<laughs> not for yeah. nothing. Yeah. What's dude? Like, like Nathan Jones? Is that who we're talking about? He's, I don't think he taught anybody. It just it doesn't make any any fucking sense. Uh, and the fact that this was a handicap match, I always thought should have meant that Taker got two wins over this one. <laughs> like they always count this as one. It's weird. Like I always bring up the tombstones when they show uh, everyone that he's ever beat, and um, they always put Big Show and A Train on the same one, and like they're buried together. <laughs> big ass grave right there. <laughs> That's pretty big. <laughs> yes. But I did hear that train, and I did think. I was like, is that really happening? Like, uh, oh, but it, I honestly got thought it was outside my window, and I just never, I never thought about it until you brought it back up. So that's pretty cool. Um, A-Train's tattoos are, are interesting because he has some of the same kind of Japanese tattoos that he has as Lord Tensai, which I, don't, I didn't know that he, he got those before he became that character. In fact, I didn't even know that those were real, to be honest. Uh, I, I, I thought it was like, well, like the way Bret Hart used to describe Rikushi's tattoos. But um, no, it's, the match is terrible, <laughs> is the nicest thing I could say. It's a, I'd give this a 3 out of 10. Okay. I actually love Taker's energy in the match. I think it's phenomenal. Oh, it's I great. Think, I, think, I don't think the match really feels that boring. It never feels really that slow. I agree that... The, why they had to go to two abdominal stretches, but that's kind of nitpicking, really. I mean, it's just kind of bizarre to see The Undertaker locked in one and then throwing one on himself. And you know, hey, you know what? It worked for me, too. Uh, but I, uh, the thing I was really paying attention to, because I looked at the same thing that Jason did, and was like, man, this is really early on the car, because I can tell it's still light outside, which usually means at WrestleMania that no one gives a shit about what you're doing if it's light outside nowadays. But I was just really impressed with how how it seemed like his his repertoire it it, incre it had increased even more since the previous year when he was probably at his peak as being big evil so i was really impressed with that like the stuff with the nathan, nathan jones stuff it's like eh, unfortunately this is the kind of guy taker is he gets locked in with stuff with you know kind of bullshit stuff like this whether it's trying to get opponents over like we'll see like with great kali or it's, you know, you, well, you're going to have to get this guy over as a face and you can buddy up with him as a protege that won't last long. Eh, whatever. I don't think this match was nearly as bad as I remembered it. I thought it was um, better. It's definitely coming off of the coming off of the last few manias that we've talked about, the exception of 15. It's like, man, it's a real departure just because there's nothing really at stake here. And that's kind of the downfall of this match. I will probably stick right around a five with this match. I, I don't think it I don't think it is that bad. I don't think it's to 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 say it's like as bad as like a nine or eleven or fifteen would be criminal to say. I think it's much better than any of those matches. Um, it's just unfortunate that it just doesn't feel like it meant anything. Especially because remember where Taker's coming off of. He's coming off of that amazing feud with Lesnar in O two, where it just seemed like he. Um, I mean, he, he just laid it out. Like, those two matches, especially that Hell in a Cell, where Undertaker getting pushed to a level that, we, I don't know, we've never seen before. We haven't seen him, and I guess maybe we'd see it later on, but at this point, it's like, my God, he is wrestling a, a monster that can really take it to him and can wrestle. So that's what was kind of neat to see, at least him bringing out some of those holds that he was breaking out. He had to use kind of 
kind of in that feud with Brock, but it's just kind of a shame that after all that, it's like, oh man, at Mania, he's going to be stuck in this tag handicap, whatever it ends up, whatever you want to call it by the end of it. It's just kind of a bummer. But I still think all that aside, I really admire the way he works in this match. It is awesome. It's if just the the speed of which he's going move to move like i've i've never seen the undertaker work that fast before and that quickly from you know from move to move that was impressive so okay charlie a big change is about to happen coming off of wrestlemania 19 and it'll take us all the way into you know wrestlemania 20 where it all begins again so what happens to big evil coming off of 19 oh it killed him Oh man! No, I don't know. So it's we've seen this before. Basically, uh, what was it? The Undertaker was having a so the Undertaker had a buried alive match with Vince McMahon, and in typical Undertaker gimmick match fashion, he lost his own gimmick, and Kane is the one who buried him. And it's trying to get the motivation straight here. So he's he's angry at the Undertaker for not being a monster anymore and basically becoming one of us and basically and betraying his, his, his past. Well, okay. So Kane gives a eulogy to the undertaker, which is fine, except for the fact that Kane isn't wearing a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a great picture of the undertaker, by the way. It really is. Like it's a, so permanent. But I just find it strange that, you know, it's, it's like if you only had one toy of a wrestler and it was this wrestling gear version and you come out and cut a promo on some other toy and it's like you, you look ridiculous in just your tights and your in your knee pads just cutting a promo. You know, Austin would always have a shirt on or something. <laughs> but Kane's out there like he's ready for a match at any second, just just completely shirtless, giving this, this eulogy. I'm like, okay. Um, the ring, I, I like this video package a lot. I like the ring lifting. I don't remember them ever reusing that, uh, with Kane. Uh, it was, it was kind of cool to see it rock around. I, I wish they could have actually lifted it for real and have it levitate, but who knows what kind of logistics that would have involved. Um, Kane comes out and I find it interesting that his whole thing is that he's mad at Undertaker for being one of us. And then Kane comes out with his song. And it's that version of the song that has lyrics. Yeah, lyrics that don't kick in until like five minutes into the song, it feels like. I always forget about this version of that song. And I'm like, I just imagine Kane, like one of those situations where wrestling were real, if, if they're playing songs for him and he hears that one and hears those, that guy singing. I don't remember who the band is, but here's the guy singing going, yeah, that's what I want. That's it. That speaks to me. And I don't, I've never liked that with Kane. But then again, for me, Kane at this point is is pretty irredeemable in terms of a character. And it's not nothing to do with him, it's what they did to him. Um, so we have basically to set this up, it's WrestleMania 20, it's, Ma it's Madison Square Garden, it's the final WrestleMania to be held at Madison Square Garden, unfortunately. Uh, to go back to WrestleMania is 110, now we're at 20, where it all begins again. It's one of my favorite taglines of any WrestleMania. I remember the video package beforehand was really cool where they show up. I'm guessing that's Declan. I think that's it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because it's Vince, Shane, and the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Respect the baby. 
so the uh, I look, take her smart man brought the druids, and these druids they look especially nervous. <laughs> these um, these these flames like these things are falling off these. I mean, what do you call those uh, that that they stick up? I don't I don't even know what those are called. Um, really, you guys don't know either? Torches? Torches? Fuck. Oh my god, well, that's, I, I was surprised that you were confused by the word torches. I was. Torches. Okay. Well, at least they weren't tiki torches. So he holds up these, the, the, the torches and the flames are falling off. Then you get Paul Bear with his, oh yes, you know, doing that whole thing. It's, it's great. And he, and he is truly bigger than ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he but is. Kurt, <coughs> I think he's wearing makeup, or maybe that's just the way his face looks now. Um, it's it's kind of hard to tell. He brought the urn. That's cool. So Taker comes out, and I remember being really excited because this was like I think the last mania I watched before I dipped out of wrestling for about four years. And I remember being really excited that Taker was bringing back the character, and he and he comes out, and something just looks off. <laughs> I and from what I can gather, I don't like the. The pants that he's wearing, because I think they're the American badass pants, and it's just like, no, that's wrong. After that, so he's his his hair isn't isn't quite the right length, but I mean you can forgive that. But one thing that really bothered me was the fact that he couldn't. I guess it had been so long since he had done it that he couldn't quite do it at this point. But he couldn't roll his eyes completely in the back of his head. Like you could actually still see his eyeballs when he when he did that, and it, it looked goofy. It's just like oh, it looks like the way it looks when I do it. Um, then there's Kane, and this is where I really have a problem with the match because as as where in WrestleMania 14, I really love the build of that match. It's, it might be my favorite build ever, at least in the WWE, and it, it's fantastical and epic, and it's a lot of fun to watch. There is something about the way that they did it this time that I think is just really stupid. So you have Kane constantly saying, you're not real. And he must say it like 10 or 15 times. And it, it, it becomes kind of grating because Taker just stands there and just listens. And Kane walks up to him to like try to touch him <laughs> as if he was trying to see if he was really standing there. And it, it just looks ridiculous. And then Taker just unloads with the best pure striker in the business offense. And you have Paul Bear out there saying stuff like, you're no son of mine. And I was like, oh, is that canon again? I, I, I don't know. Uh, but the you're not real thing, it's like he just didn't have any more choices. Like, that's all he went with. And it, it, it takes me completely out of the match. So we're off to a bad start here already. Uh, the match itself, this is really short, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say this is... Five or six minutes? About 747. You're not far off. 747? Yeah. Like, it's pretty much a glorified squash match. Yes. Which is fine if it's The Undertaker, because we're, I mean, we're, we've seen that tons of times, but not against Kane. Yeah. Like, it should, it should mean something more than that. I'm pretty, they must have been told something backstage, like, oh, you've only got a certain amount of time. Okay. Well, this was what right before the main. Match? I think this is this, this is right before the Benoit Michaels Triple H match, I think. Yeah. The, yeah, so it was the so basically like the way it was their same placement at fourteen, yeah, where they uh, where they came right before Austin and Michaels, 
I love that uh, Taker does a big boot and a leg drop. <laughs> right. And then goes for a cover. Not effective. <laughs> oh, man. We're for Terry. <laughs> uh, Taker, like, it's really interesting. This this is one of the more hostile audiences that I remember simply because of the Brock Lesnar-Goldberg match. But they couldn't be any more of the polar opposite for this match. They seem dead. No pun intended. Like, they don't seem interested in anything that's going on here until The Undertaker sits up. And that gets a great reaction because we haven't seen that in a while. And there's this weird moment where Kane, trying to remember how this worked out, but he kicks The Undertaker. The Undertaker no-sells it. And then Kane sells like he's Ric Flair. <laughs> he actually puts his hands up and goes, No, please! <laughs> I'm like, would it be great if Kane went for an eye gouge? <laughs> <laughs> he got, he'd get up and do the, the Roddy Piper taunt from Revenge. Right, from Revenge, yeah. Dirtiest player in hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get a tombstone, and I mean, there's really not a whole lot to say about it. I mean, it's, it, Taker gets the victory, and it's just like, okay. And Taker's 12 and 0. Like, this is a nothing match. And it's interesting, too, because I, we talked about it earlier, Will. He doesn't change his wrestling style a whole lot in the match compared to what we're typically used to with the American Badass. But even though I like this match more than the 19 match, Taker, I mean, he worked his ass off in the 19 match. And this one just feels lazy, is the only word I can think to describe it. So, yeah, I'd give this a four. Jason, how about you? Go ahead and take it away. Update us on where we're at in the world of everything. Oh, good. I've been saving this one because I love what the number one movie of March 14, 2014 is. This is The Passion of the Christ. And that's right, which depicts the final 12 hours in the life of Jesus of Nazareth on the day of his crucifixion and is a William Rinkin go-to to describe someone getting the shit kicked out of him. I love it. What's cool about this is the Passion of the Christ was number one for three weeks, got dethroned, and then beat Hellboy on Easter weekend to get number one. That's pretty cool. Things work out. The number one song in the U.S. was this god-awful piece of shit, Usher, featuring Little John and Ludacris with Yes. So in America, we had Jesus in the streets and Little John in the sheets, and no one could be more pissed off than me. In the UK, we had DJ Casper's Cha-Cha Slide, which from what I can tell is an instructional song on how to be an asshole in public. So that song is, I hate going to any kind of club or bar or anything, and that song, come on, it's just like, mm, mm. Well, the good news is, is people's not going to be at the bar getting drink the time to go load up. So here we have WrestleMania 20 from Madison Square Garden. It's Kane versus The Undertaker. What's kind of interesting is this is announced as an interpromotional contest, even though Undertaker hasn't been on TV in months. So, I mean, is he part of SmackDown? Change part of Raw? It doesn't make any sense. Um, Charlie, I like what you said about those torches. Uh, they were just dripping. Was that what they're called? Um, yes. <laughs> they were just dripping napalm everywhere. So, my favorite druid was the one with napalm? the napalm? What? That's All right. It looked like napalm because the way that they were just leaking. Where it was followed, and it wasn't just his first. Where's <laughs> Randy Savage? Man, you can smell it from here. Yes, 
Yes, because they were just staying kind of lit. And these druids or these guys are walking through with their robes. They're walking through, even though it's not big, huge blessing, but it's still tiny balls of fire. And then here comes some guy behind them, all in black with a fire extinguisher. So I love that. Um, I like that they didn't have a picture of the Undertaker in the match draft. It was Kane. Well, it was yeah, it was Kane versus the Cross. <laughs> right, which is great because you know Jesus is going to win. It's um, Kane versus Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it was kind of I liked it, but did like like I'm with you, Charlie. I I I'm torn in the fact that it was interesting to see Kane playing a coward, but I at the same time I didn't like it. I didn't know how to do it. Um, there's a spot where Kane almost makes the Undertaker neck. He's like right when I guess Kane, or take gonna put him in a power bomb or do the last ride or something because he's in that position. And Kane flips him over, and I guess he's supposed to hit the rope, but he's like, oh, it's Yeah. Uh, if Taker could have put his arms up, that would have been it. Um, the spot that we're talking about where Kane goes and, like, nails Taker with that boot and Taker co-stales it, I didn't, I mean, I went back and looked a couple times. I didn't seem to do no, no. It just reminded me of the spot in Big Trouble Little China where Kurt Russell punches lightning right in the face, and he doesn't do anything. He just cuts back to Kurt Russell, and he just nods because he knows about the um, I love it. I, I, I'm all in for Russell Kane. That's kind of cool. Uh, this match ends with one tombstone. One. Yep. I get this is the return of the Undertaker, so he should be so powerful or whatever, but WrestleMania 14, it took through three of these motherfuckers to put Kane away. And character-wise, for all intents and purposes, this version of Kane is one of the more malicious and vicious that we've ever seen. This isn't this shortly. Did it the same night he buried the Undertaker? Wasn't that the night he wrestled Jane? I think Didn't so. They wrestled that yeah. theory, so it's like, yeah, they just got it. Um, it's just really shocking to see that. This this was again. This was like the same thing as Snooker. Like it was just a, a glorified squash match, and it made no sense that it came. And if they wanted to do this, I think they could have had them. I mean, Kane should have been a much bigger threat. It should, it should feel important. It's WrestleMania 20. I get that there's so many other things that are going on because it's the point that it's a celebration of WrestleMania. But even at this point, this early on, here is synonymous with WrestleMania, and his stuff should feel important. And just like last year's, this does. I'm going to give it a four. This match, I, the, the build-up to this match was incredible. Um, I absolutely loved uh, how... Uh, you know, they would just tease it. They would have the lights go out. They'd play the music. They'd do something with the lights. They would just tease the Undertaker coming back. Then you'd see those Titantrons that were pretty much telling you the dead man was coming back. And it was really neat that you never saw what he was going to look like. Everything up until the moment that the Undertaker uh, comes out, and I'd even say go a little bit further, up until the moment he takes the hat and the jacket off, I'd say is like 10 out of 10 level stuff. It's awesome. It's really good. It fits kind of cool it fits nicely almost into the build up to 14 it's just that moment that you realize what he looks like and you're like he it, it, there is nothing different between this undertaker and the wrestlemania from 19 with the exception of a flag a bike and a band you know that's the only there's there's not a lot different here with this guy and the fact that he just wrestles the exact same i mean the 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 thing i had to finally resolve myself at the end of this was like this match was purely about an entrance that's all it was about. It was 100% about an entrance. 
Um, I'm with you guys to give it a four. I really don't have much more to add to the contest itself because I don't think there's much more to add to a 747 match. I mean, it's funny that where it all begins again, this is about the same length of match that you had with Jimmy Snuka or James Snuka, as I kept thinking about him the other day. I don't know why, but it's about the same length of match from uh, from WrestleMania 7. So I'm, I'm sticking with a four. Well, we're all in agreement there. Yeah. So, um, Charlie, are you doing the tabulations now? Yeah, I'm trying to get the math right here. Hold on. Okay, cool. I, no, I just want to make sure it's on the line. No worries. Okay, cool. Um, so, I looked at it for myself. I tried to go back through, and I realized these if these are slightly different, I apologize from when I was ranking mine from the last two, but I wanted to kind of get myself, after this set of matches, where, what my worst to favorite, I guess, taker matches from this uh, from the season have been. I have 15, and then 11, then 9, then 7, then 8, 19, 20, uh, 12, 13, 14, X7, X8. I think X8 is definitely my favorite so far of, of the matches that we've seen. Jason, do you roughly know where you stand when it comes to this season? Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, this episode changes a lot because it's x8 x7 um then i can't remember the numbers for some reason but the title match with sid then kane then nash or she's diesel then uh jake then snooker john gonzalez bundy big boss man um and i honestly i gotta put this kane at the bottom um and it's Right above 19, I didn't do a 19 call. And then, of course, 19 being precursor to Big Boss Man, because that is just a steamy pile of shit. Charlie, where do you have yours thus? How does the how do these four matches change your list so far? Uh, I think the two best matches that we've seen so far are on this episode <clears throat> with um, Triple H and then Ric Flair. And, and the Ric Flair match, I mean... I mean, it's unfortunate in a way that I know what's coming ahead because that it'd be hard to think of a match that could beat that. But yeah, as we'll see, WrestleMania through the 20s is incredible for The Undertaker. And it should also be pointed out that Undertaker, starting from WrestleMania 17 on, will never take another break Yeah, WrestleMania. That's a good point. And that's incredible. Yeah. Like, he, he never misses another one. Yeah, so, and it's really up until like what WrestleMania after WrestleMania twenty seven is when he kind of starts like wrestling seasonally part right? of time, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. which is you know good good on him. Yeah, hell, we were there for that. Yeah, but um, yeah, like in terms of putting the matches in order of, of, of favorite to least favorite, I mean, I, I I I'd honestly rather do that at the end. But if I had to like pick a five right now. It'd be probably Flair, Triple H, uh, Jake, the first match with Kane, and Diesel. After that, it'd probably get a little hazy. The worst match is still King Kong Bundy. That I know. Actually, no. No. No, I don't know. Well, I don't know which one's worse between that boss man. I think the boss man one is... They're, they're they're both so terrible. Yeah, those are like the only truly bad match. Even the Gonzalez match, I'm like, I didn't hate it. And there's enough shit in there that... <laughs> to keep me interested. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. So did, did you uh, finish your math with the um, the numbers? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. So Jason, uh, you have it at the lowest at a five point six. Uh, I have it at a five point seven five, and Will, you have it at the highest at a six point five. So we give it a five point nine six this episode. Okay. It's pretty good. Yeah. Considering. Sure. But I think it's because of how much we love those first two matches. Yeah, I mean, it's... I'm interested to see once we get into the 20s now where, you know, what does get above X8. I'll be interested to see, like... Because I, I really want to find one. that Well, I do know of one exact... Definitely one. But I want to see if anything else gets close to that. Um, especially with now we're moving into... So next episode, we're going to have WrestleMania 21. That's with Orton. 22 is the one with Mark Henry, right? Is that a is that a straight up match or is that a casket? That's a casket match. It's a casket. Yeah. yeah. WrestleMania 23 is with Batista, right? Yep. Yep. And then 24 is with Edge. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be good. That's gonna be a really cool set. So let um so that's where we'll that's where we'll leave it. Man, that's gonna be cool. I, I'm in I'll be honest, one I'm interested in. Looking back on, because I don't even, I, I, I can't remember the last time I've looked at it. Well, actually, both of them is the 21-22 matches. Because, the, especially the 22 match, that one kind of gets left left way behind. <laughs> when it comes to The Undertaker's legacy at WrestleMania. But, um, anyhow, the uh, the podcast, you know we're on Twitter, guys. We're at New Blood Pod. We're on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast. You can stop by iTunes and leave us a, a rating, a review, and... Uh, and continue to subscribe, of course. Um, I myself, I'm at William Rinkin83. I'm at the Jason Kiesler. I'm at CM underscore Stabs. And Martin, you can still find him. He's at Bunny Suicida, and we wish him our best. We'll see him again in the future. Um, until then, we'll see you guys for episode four of The Street. You've done it now. You've done it
Now so 